What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 255 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Jesse Schoberg from dropandblog.com. Jesse is in the Dynamite Circle with myself, and he recently posted a article about expats, and it really hit home for me. That's why I brought him on. The article is called Farang Cycle of Life and Death in Thailand. But the article itself so clearly encapsulates, I would say, all expat cultures around the world. And there's nine phases, and he also gives us a little bit of his background and, and where he's living today. Really cool episode. Definitely always gets me inspired to talk to these people that I'm surrounded by who are living these beautiful lifestyles, really taking advantage of making U.S. dollars but living in inexpensive places to really enjoy life to the fullest. And Jesse is one of those guys who's doing it, and it's really cool to hear. If you remember from last week's episode, I was talking a little bit about that company, Magic Mind. It's that little green juice shot that helps with mental focus, boosts your energy throughout the day. You can take it with your coffee, without your coffee. Like I said, I'm not a coffee drinker. But if you want to take advantage of that promo code from last week, please feel free to do that. It's an ongoing thing. You're always welcome to drop that promotion code in there to get a huge discount. You know, you get 50% off that first month subscription, or you can get 20% off just a one-time buy. I highly recommend you take advantage of it. The stuff's awesome, and I can't say enough good things about it. And with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Jesse Schoberg from DroppinBlog.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Jesse Schoberg from DroppinBlog.com. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's a pleasure, dude. I uh, recently read an article that you posted in the Dynamite Circle Forum, which my audience has heard a lot about over the years, and it's caught my attention because it was all about expats and the life cycle of expats, and it really hit home for me. And after kind of going through your profile on the on the forum, realizing you've been to a, lived in a lot of different places, I thought it'd be fun to bring you on and kind of see what you've observed over the years with expat you've been surrounded by. And then also like the phases that you've gone through through this nine phase cycle. Um, but first, if you wouldn't mind, dude, give us a little background on where you're from and where you're at right now as we speak. Yeah, you bet. Uh, as you said, my name's Jesse. Uh, I grew up in the States uh, near Chicago area. I left in 2008, so I have been outside for a little while. Um, I originally lived in Panama for quite a few years and and travel around Latin America quite a bit. And the last maybe, I guess, six, eight years now, I've been mostly in Asia. And uh, currently, I'm in Bangkok, Thailand. Awesome. What was the reason for leaving the U.S.? Uh, to be honest, uh, it wasn't as thought out as uh, as a lot of people who may be listening to your show might uh, make it. For me, it was, wasn't. I hadn't quite figured out what I wanted to do. And I just knew that I didn't want to do what I was doing. And so I had created a location independent business at that time. And I was kind of, I was actually living in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. And I was just kind of bored looking for another more interesting place to live. So I was looking at places like 
uh, Austin and Denver. And I had remember I'd gone on a trip to Panama City, Panama a few years earlier. And I was like, you know what? It was pretty cool down there. And then I kind of was putting together the numbers about the currency arbitrage and kind of thinking like, you know what? I could probably have a much better life there than I could have Austin or Denver, which were both cities that were respectively more expensive than where I was living in Madison. And so, of course, the benefits of a location-independent business is that your income stays the same when you move, but that can also be a disadvantage if you move to somewhere that's more expensive. So um, it it kind of just kind of clicked that I had enjoyed Panama City. I thought it was interesting. And so I kind of just went for it and took the leap and, and went down there. And uh, it wasn't easy at first. 2008, there wasn't as much of a network of expats. And uh, I mean, I didn't even read 4-Hour Workweek until I was already living there. Uh, so there, it wasn't as developed of a scene as it is now. So it was a little bit harder to transition the first maybe six months or so, but, uh, definitely probably the most impactful life decision that I made as far as, uh, butterfly effects and, and where it sent me on the path that I went to. And, and like I said, I didn't really know what I wanted. I just knew that what I was doing wasn't it. And by getting into the international scene it really opened up my eyes and met a lot of interesting people and uh i contributed very much so to my success today that's interesting with you know you having created a location independent business first in the states and then making the move to panama do you mind sharing what that business was originally yeah it was just a development agency Uh, i had originally started just kind of building websites for Uh, small local businesses and then I kind of learned about outsourcing while I was still there and learned about hiring talent abroad and I started providing services for other agencies in my uh, city and I I got better at uh, managing a remote team and finding good talent than I was at going to chamber of commerce meetings so I basically just went to all the competitors and said hey, like I can do this better than you guys can and you'll never have to hire staff again. And I basically was doing the development for about half of that market at, at the peak when uh, we were, you know, had a bunch of agencies that we were sourcing to us. So uh, essentially wholesale web development, I guess, was kind of what the agency turned out to be. That's interesting. I mean, that's a really unique skill set to discover about yourself. Was that something that was shocking to you that you just all of a sudden realized that you had this random skill set to uh, find these remote employees? I mean, to be honest, it was kind of also like on accident. I mean, not like I was always trying to hustle and trying all kinds of different businesses and stuff like my whole life as an entrepreneur. And it was, you know, I started doing the web development and was learning about coding and this kind of stuff. And uh, the the story of how I started uh, sourcing from abroad was I ran into we were coding on some uh, e-commerce store uh, before Shopify existed when we were actually like doing the code and uh, I ran into a, a problem that I couldn't figure out how to solve because I wasn't that good of a programmer yet so I started looking on the internet at these kind of you know rent a coder or hire a freelancer or whatever before Upwork stuff. And, uh, I found a, I found, uh, I put a, posted a job for this little task that I had and this guy in one guy in California, uh, posted that he could do the job and he told me it was going to be 120 bucks. And then another guy from Ukraine posted on there and he said he can do it for 40 bucks. 
And I was like, oh, well, I don't really know anything about Ukraine or, you know, this sounds weird. So I'll hire the guy from California. So I hired the guy from California. Two weeks later, sob stories later, he didn't get the work done. And I ended up having to do like a PayPal chargeback for like the deposit because he ended up falling off the grid and gave me all the sob story. Then I go back to the guy. His name was Alex in Ukraine. And I said, hey, you know, you, you still want to do this? Uh, the other, other guy didn't, you know, work out or whatever. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. 40 bucks, it was done in two hours. And I was able to deliver it to the client. And I was like, oh, man, I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> and so that, that kind of opened my eyes that, you know, there's currency arbitrage for those guys and, you know, people that are hungrier than, than the guy in California. And it was just kind of that became this pivotal moment where I had a big aha that this could be a thing. And then I started kind of searching around the earth for different people, for different skill sets and building a, a strong remote team uh, of developers. That's really cool, man. And the pools that you're picking from, as you noted, are different based on the skill sets you're looking for. And within those pools, is it difficult for you to like uh, find the ones that are the most skilled for the project that you're looking for? Or was that pretty easy for you as well? I mean, it's a trial and error, right? And even now, I mean, we have team all over the world. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, hiring those people is a skill set. And, and uh, you know, if you there's a couple ways to go about it. Nowadays, luckily, we have a lot more options. But, you know, at that time, I was kind of using these smaller sites. And, you know, you just got to kind of, for me, I would always do everything on output. Like, I don't even do interviews. Like, that guy, actually, that guy that I'm talking about, Alex, he worked for me for probably five years after that point. And I literally never talked to him like we're talking right now. Like our entire relationship was over email. And it was like, and the point of that I'm, why I bring that up is that you know, everyone has all this big like, oh, I want to interview them and I want to get their vibe and I'll make sure that they, no, I just want to make sure that they can get the work done and that they're good at it. So for me, it was always easier to send people test tasks when I'm like the interview process for me is I'll usually hire like three people. And I'll just send them all the same test task and I'll just compare like how fast did they deliver, how good of a job did they do, how well did they do on it? Did they bring up problems? Did they suggest ideas of ways to improve the thing that we were working on or whatever? And uh, I try to hire as much as possible completely out off of output. Now, I know that that doesn't work on every category of hiring, but when it comes to technical stuff, it's worked very well for, for me and my team. That's interesting. So the evolution of what you've created over the years led you to what, drop and blog? Yeah, basically what happened was, you know, I've been doing this a long time. So when we were first started developing, we were just doing like PHP sites and like static sites. And we weren't, it was kind of before WordPress became the the mammoth that it is now. And so we we had built out custom sites for people and they love them and everything was going good. But then, you know, a percentage of them decided that they want to do content marketing. And so we started installing WordPress on a subdomain and then we have to write a custom theme that matches their other site that we built for them. And now they're managing two websites and then... You know, they the reason that they went with the the custom site in the first place is because they didn't want to have WordPress. You know, so we kind of ran into this situation where, like, yeah, they like everything that we're building for them, but uh, if we only had a blog that we could just drop into the existing platform, that would be a lot better than running this whole separate WordPress thing. And that's kind of where the idea came from. And so we actually built it originally for our clients, 
And it wasn't like a big deal. It was just kind of like, okay, yeah, we have a few clients that did it. You know, we're making a couple thousand bucks a month off of it. It was just sort of like a side thing that was filling a little hole in our needs, essentially. Uh, But what ended up happening is around 2019, we started noticing this big rise in all these no-code builders. And all of those no-code builders, for the most part, either have no blog or they have a crappy one. So it's say, for example, that you are building your website in something like Teachable or Thinkific because you're running a, a course, right? It's like, okay, that's really good at building this course marketing site, but it, neither of those have blog platforms. So, you know, we were able to kind of fill that that hole for those guys. And then, you know, you can repeat that across, uh, you know, lead pages and Webflow and Shopify, et cetera, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, some of these platforms, again, they do have, some of them have a basic blogging platform, but, you know, we're, we're, we've basically built a, a very SEO-friendly, full-fledged content marketing platform that anyone who actually wants a content market, we became the solution for that. So that was kind of the, a pivoting point from just like, oh, we build for static sites to like, no, we build for everybody who's building on any of these platforms. And that was when we kind of had this like, oh, this thing has no ceiling moment and went all in in 2019. Nice. And how hands-on are you today, sitting in Bangkok? Uh, I'm I'm hands-on in the way that I'm. I'm you know very active in the company and where where we're going and and what we're doing as far as product and and top-level marketing and kind of vision and you know I. I play the CEO hat and, and try to do my best at doing that and not spending too much time in the day to day and more try to figure out where is the ship going and how are we going to get it there. So, uh, you know, I have two other partners and a small team of about 12. So, uh, all of that has kind of grown over the, over the last, uh, couple of years. And, and so I, I do my best to try to keep myself out of the you know, putting out fires or that kind of thing and, and really trying to focus on the vision of the product and, and you know, where, where are we taking the company and that kind of thing. So it does sound like you, you do enjoy your life in Bangkok and Thailand in general with getting to explore, you know, do your routine in, in the way you want to do it. For me, I mean, I've, I've spent time in 40 countries and have spent, you know, significant time in most of those countries. And for me, Thailand is the best uh, place Bangkok specifically is the best for me, um, but uh, it, it's the where I can be the most optimized, where it has the best quality of life for me, for what I want, uh, for a big city life that has all the all the things from top to bottom uh, when it comes from uh, you know like inexpensive street food to like Michelin star restaurants that you know they have all of that here, and it's just a it's just a really good quality of life here in Bangkok. So yeah, big big fan. Yeah, I mean, 40 countries. And one thing you said in the, early in the conversation was when you got to Panama, that the, the expat scene wasn't really developed quite yet in the way that I guess you might have been expecting. And I want to kind of dive into that because at the root of this, you know, every expat kind of has this, that vibe that you just described, but unique to them that they're looking for. And I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, I love Bangkok. I love Thailand. But, like, as I talk to you now, I'm sitting in a very small town in the middle of Mexico on the coast that has none of those luxuries that you just described. And I love it. You know, it has very small expat scene with very um, unique people who have a specific interest in surfing. 
and not a huge variety of anybody else. So like with your initial stint into Panama, I guess, what were you kind of expecting to find and what didn't you find there? I mean, I guess to be honest, I didn't know what to expect. I just knew that I could set up a life there and it seemed like it was going to be all right. Uh, one thing I guess that it really didn't have was kind of the, the, this differentiation that we have now is between like nomads and expats. And I feel like the nomad scene is pretty vibrant now and, and helps you plug into places really quickly, uh, because it's just such an active scene. And, the you know Panama definitely had like an expat scene but you know it wasn't something that you just walk into overnight because you know these people live there a long time they've got their friend circles this kind of stuff so it took a while to kind of make some friends with people that had been living there for a while and uh you know I didn't speak any Spanish at the time turns out you know it would be helpful if you if you spoke some Spanish right so um it it uh, took some took a while to kind of get those things figured out and uh, not to mention I kind of went all in and I like, I bought an apartment and had like cars and staff and all this kind of stuff, which it, it is great when you're setting up a nice life, but also creates a lot of life admin and bureaucracy and these kind of things, which, which can create animosity toward, toward the situation and struggles that you didn't have before different kinds of struggles, I guess. So, um, and yeah, there's just less of a support network. There was like less, you know, like Facebook groups and less meetups and just less of a support network. So, uh, that didn't, that didn't exist as much when, when I first got there. So it, it took a while to kind of, uh, learn how everything worked and there's just a little bit less of a, a network, but, uh, it ended up, you know, being fantastic. And, and I had it as my home base for, uh, almost eight years. So, uh, it, it was an important place and, and a great chapter of my life for sure. That's a good distinction, the the nomad versus expat, you know, with you arriving as an online entrepreneur, location dependent, like you're probably thirsting for those, that type of community. And there was probably, or there is, I know there was an expat community there who's like more that kind of stereotypical, classic, old guy sits at the bar all day, you know, or whatever they do, they just kind of get lost there, which isn't necessarily feeding that, that drive and hunger that that you obviously had when you arrived. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, there was definitely that, um, when it came to, uh, I guess I'll, I'll say people that, uh, people that, that, you know, that, that, I guess that expat that you're describing in, in Panama city, in the city, it's not that as much cause it is pretty, um, pretty urban. And, uh, basically it's something that took me a while to kind of find out where to go and how to meet people. But the good thing was once I did dig in a little bit, actually like there was a pretty established expat scene of like actually people doing software and other like internet businesses. Uh, so it was actually quite inspiring because it was the first time that I had actually met some like really successful people that were living more the life I live now. And where I was in Madison, there was none of that. So, um, it, it was like a really refreshing change. And, and the only other exposure I had to like quote internet success was like people that had done like VC Valley stuff, which it was not really of interest to me, but I didn't really know what the other side of it looked like. And so it was kind of cool to get into a place where like people were like running like SAS and lead gen and, other like directory sites and all kinds of stuff then and seeing them like, you know, do quite, quite well. And it, it kind of 
maybe realize like, oh, these guys are just normal people like me. And, and you know, they didn't they didn't get millions of dollars in funding and didn't move to San Francisco. And, you know, they're living a really good life here and making lots of money and, you know, having a just a, a different lifestyle than 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 we got in our home countries, I guess. So uh, it, it, that was that was really inspiring once I kind of got into that circle. Yeah, that's how I felt when I found the DC finally, because I was living a very rural fishing village in Nicaragua and had heard a whisper of this lifestyle of being a nomad. And I had tried to read for a work week, but I felt like I was already living the, the new rich lifestyle by living on the beach with all my friends. So didn't really connect the dots until I was in Thailand and meeting all you guys being like, oh, this is a tribe that I'm finally like feel like I can relate to. And like, I love that energy and excitement and like, this is, these are like-minded people rather than kind of that expat I described earlier, who's like got their little routine. They're pretty set in They're They're not interested in making any more money than they already do to survive and pay for beers at the end of the night. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like everywhere we go, there's both of those, those groups of people. And that's the nice thing about the DC, right? Is that it is, it is more of a, you know, uh, I mean, definitely still lifestyle business orientated, but you know, people aren't just like, okay, how do I make like 500 bucks a month so I can live in Medellin? You know, like there, there is more drive to achieve greater, uh, goals and, and live, uh, you know, scale this lifestyle a little bit and, and those kind of things. So, uh, I felt the same way when I got, when I moved to Asia, um, even after being in Latin America for so long, uh, it was like, uh, when I got to Bangkok the first time, I was like, oh, this is Panama 2.0. I can feel it right immediately because it actually feels a bit like Panama City, except it's like 10 times the size. And so it, it gave me the same adrenaline rush that when I first started coming to Panama. So it's it's pretty cool that, that uh, yeah, what the, the life that, that exists out here. And it's, it's a pretty active scene of all kinds of people out here doing all kinds of stuff as well. So it's it's really inspiring to be around. Yeah, the, uh, the article that you posted in the forum was called Fereng cycle of life and death in Thailand. And I'll post that in the show notes, but it's like nine phases that as I read through, like I've definitely experienced and definitely feel myself stuck in a few of them as we speak um, with the 40 countries you've been to and the different expat cultures, nomad cultures you've seen around the world. Would you agree that this life cycle is pretty accurate for all of those expat communities and digital nomad communities? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's variances, but I, I do think it's a common theme for sure. Uh, you know, it takes a while to get used to other cultures. People do things differently, and and also, uh, you know, new places are exciting. And actually, when I originally read this article, as I mentioned, it was it was when I moved to Asia from Latin America around 2016. I was learning about Thailand, and I ran across this article, and I was like holy shit, this is basically everyone that I know in Panama and the whole article is about Thailand. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is a very common theme. And then funny enough, I I like remembered the article and had forgot about it for many years and I tried to find it a couple like of years ago and I couldn't find it. And then some random happenstance, I ran across like an old email thread or something that I had sent it to someone and found it just the other day is when I posted it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting the the different phases. Would you say you've been through all nine phases, which I'll just read through really quick. So the audience kind of gets the gist of what we're sure. talking about. So phase one is delight. Phase two is the comfort zone. Phase three surprise and wonder four irritation and surprise five anger complaints uh the wish to change the culture that you're living in 
Uh, six, uh, acceptance. Seven, lack and loneliness. Eight, choices. Nine, opportunities. So of those nine, can you say you've been through all of them? Oh, at some point in some version of them, for sure. <laughs> okay. And then would you highlight any that you find yourself constantly getting stuck in? Well, I my best to hang out in uh, phase six, which is acceptance. Mm -hmm. uh, I found out uh, that's the, the way to stay happiest. Uh, a lot of expats get stuck in, in phase five, which is the anger complaints in which to change them. Uh, that's I, I got to that point a bit in Panama, and I, I kind of learned my lesson that I got a little bit too involved in everything and was too deep into the society and the culture. And then, yeah, you you, you get it's you get you just want to fix quote everything and it's like oh this isn't how they did it wherever or you see like efficiency things or whatever but then uh it's easy to hate on on a culture that's not yours or that feels new and foreign but you're trying to solve inefficiencies but then also you know you go back to your home country and you realize actually there's bunches of inefficiencies there too you just kind of forgot about it and you, you tend to kind of gloss over things uh back home wherever that happens to be as well so uh but uh part of part of what i've learned is to try to avoid uh bureaucracy in countries as much as possible so uh this means i i not have any plans to buy real estate anytime soon or hire local employees in the local systems and i found these are the kind of things anything like related to those things seems to be what gets very frustrating because you end up waiting in lots of queues and things dealing with all of these uh systems so uh i found out that's a <laughs> way to keep your head clear is to kind of uh uh try to avoid those kind of things but uh, anyways, yeah, moving into acceptance where you kind of accept that, hey, this is the way they do things. It's not your country. You are a guest here and and appreciate that and just appreciate for all the reasons that you liked it, which are the earlier phases like delight and comfort and surprise and wonder where you're having all these great new experiences, amazing new foods. You're enjoying currency arbitrage. People are friendly and inviting and all these kind of things that maybe wasn't like that where you were before. And so you know, I always try to lean back into those things. And, and if I'm feeling frustrated about stuff, I'll often even try to, you know, go do some of those things that I know are so great about whatever the country is, the things that you like there or, or whatever. So, uh, those are, those are kind of the main things. Um, let's see what we got other phases here. Uh, lacks and loneliness. I do see that a lot. I personally have not really hit that phase myself very much. I kind of like expat life better than I liked, uh, living in the States. Uh, but I will say that, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you can, you can feel lack of friends if you're in a new place and you don't really know anyone and this kind of stuff. And it's, it's better now because of Facebook groups and these kind of things. But, uh, I mean, I know lots of expats who, quote, returned to base and, and gave up on their nomad expat life and went back to living their normal life they were before because they just, you know, they missed their old friends that they hung out with every day and, and uh, they missed their, their extended family and this kind of stuff. And that it turns out that the adventure wasn't enough to uh, uh, keep them fulfilled, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you've really made calculated decisions to – Obviously, always operate within the phase of acceptance. However, keep your foot heavy in the, the room of like surprise and wonder and delight. 
just so you're always kind of really enjoying where you're at. Would that sound accurate? Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. And I think that the other way to help that is if you can set up your home space to be you know, efficient and good. And I don't mean just your necessarily your actual like apartment or house, but I also mean like whatever your routine is, coffee shops or restaurants that you like and finding those things that, that can be a nice bubble routine for you. So then if you're stressed out about life unrelated to living in wherever you're living, your job or your family or whatever you're dealing with, uh, you know, have being able to have a really tight, bubble in your wherever you are just so that you can uh you know feel that comfort uh to me has been very successful so that i can i can go enter into the surprise and wonder and the the excitingness of all of these places when i want to but but when when i want to like focus on my work or if i'm dealing with something hard in my personal life i know i can just like you know run my little loop on repeat and 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 it'll be you know a comfortable setting that will allow me to focus on those personal issues Mm -hmm. and are you not buying anything because you don't see yourself there long term or is it just more of a you just you're not interested in the i don't know what you would call it but just you don't want to make that kind of big investment to tie yourself down there uh for me after i owned property in the states and then i owned property in panama as well i've kind of at least for the the medium term i i decided that i don't want to own property anywhere um, unrelated to where I want to live. I spend a lot of time in Mexico City and a lot of time here in Bangkok, also some time in a few other places. Uh, but I, you know, I learned a few things about owning property, especially abroad. Uh, first of all, where I like to live, which is you know big urban centers, uh, sometimes the the cool, interesting area can shift a little bit. So if you're you know you want to move to another neighborhood, you can't just do that if you own the place. Also, you know, the building can not be maintained as well as you liked or, you know, then you can deal with like arguments within the association or whatever. This is back to this stuff that you don't want to deal with. It just, you know, clouds your life with things that are not that important. And so if you're renting, you can just leave. Right. And so if. Uh, you know, they decide, oh, the guy next door is, you know, bought the land and is, there's going to be a three year construction project right next to your office or bedroom for three years. If you own that apartment, you can't do anything about it and you just have to deal with it. And so uh, by renting, you're just a bit more agile. Um, not to mention you're more agile cost wise. You know, if business is good, you can upgrade next month to a nicer place. And if business is not good and you want to tighten the ropes, you can you can pull back next month too. And, uh, you know, when you own a place, you're kind of, you're kind of fixed into, to that scenario. So, uh, I, for me that that's, uh, why the reasons mainly that, that, uh, I've decided that at least for the foreseeable future that I, that I don't want to own any property, especially property that I would be planning to live in. Yeah. That agility is something I, I strive for as well. I like that ability to just get to an Airbnb or get to a whatever, and then leave when I want to. Um, it just feels so much more effortless and free for me in that way. Yeah, I mean, just like many things, it's optimizing for optionality. I think is a is a good trait and a good goal uh, because you never know what's going to happen at the places where you are, or in your life, or in your preferences, or whatever. And so, the more agile you can be, the the less time you can waste doing things that you don't want to be doing or being in places that you don't want to be. 
What kind of stuff other than, you know, obviously going out to nice dinners do you like to do? Like what kind of hobbies do you have? Yeah, I like music a lot. So um, I do a little bit of music production with electronic music, play guitar, this kind of stuff. As far as going out, yeah, uh, like live comedy. There's a bit of a comedy scene here in Bangkok that's starting to pop up as well as a music scene. Uh, And then, yeah, uh, amazing food scene here in, in Thailand local and uh foreign foods as well as like cool cocktail bars and interesting like uh art scene and just just lots of stuff so i like kind of metropolitan lifestyle this kind of thing and then i mean the good thing about thailand and mexico as well i like having a real urban lifestyle as you might be getting the drift but in both of those places you're very easy access to mountains and beaches and islands and this kind of stuff so you know you can be on a one-hour flight and be in some of the most beautiful places in the world and not a lot of places can say that right so uh for me both uh countries have that really strong point that when you want to get away from the city life you can you know i can i can go to where you live very easily uh from uh mexico city uh and you know have a a, a much needed reset and that's that's a really really great thing to have in both places those cultures are quite different you know the latin mexican culture versus the thai culture what 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 do you enjoy about both and what makes them different and exciting to you yeah, I mean, I guess that's why I like to live in both of these places. They kind of reset each other. So, um, I, I mean, obviously the Latin culture is a little bit more, I guess we'll say, um, rambunctious. Is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a little bit more uh, rowdy and flavorful or something. Uh, I can't think of the right words, but uh, a little bit different where – yeah, the Thai culture is more subdued and, and more formal in some ways. Uh, but uh, and, I, and I like that contrast. You know, sometimes uh, Mexico becomes a bit much. And then, you know, the, the kind of more orderliness and calmness of Thailand uh, is, is kind of a nice, nice reset. Not that Thailand can't be a little rowdy as well. But um, the, those things, I think, are, are a nice contrast. Uh, and just the culture in general, it's a little bit less like abrasive, I guess, here in Thailand. Everyone's like really friendly and, and extra polite and these kind of things. And, and uh, things are more casual in Mexico and, and, and a little bit louder and this kind of stuff, which, again, it's, it's a, I find that to be a nice contrast. But as a, as a parallel, I think that they have a lot of things in common as well, just just interestingly with different cultures like i was saying that you know the landscape for example is you know very diverse and you have all of the things right city mountain beach all of that stuff in world class level and all of those things so that's really cool and you have amazing produce and uh meat and fish and this kind of stuff just abundant uh uh places which then has led itself to a very abundant and interesting and creative food culture in both countries and i think that that's really exciting as well so it's it's uh it's really good that way uh good thing about mexico you've got the uh being on the the american time zones which for a lot of people's work is pretty dang convenient uh so that's really nice as well as mexico city is nice because if you do want to be doing stuff in the states uh you've got direct flights to most everywhere very easily so that's kind of cool um, but you know, over here in Asia on the flip side, I find that I can actually get a little bit more work done cause I'm not chit chatting with 
customers or whatever, or, you know, you get, it's easy when everybody's online all the time that, that, uh, you know, it's easy to get chatting and not get the work done. So, uh, I tend to be a bit more efficient in Asia partially because of that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more stuff accessible over here. It's not just the States and also something about being not so close to the States that there's less of that culture, permeating into everything around you like i feel like in mexico sometimes there's just a bit too many americans around and a bit too much of the culture just kind of spilling over and you know here you just feel that less because just proximity it's further away the expats are from a much more diverse range of countries and it's uh it's it's a nice change of pace from that and when you jump on a flight you you can be in a lot of places that are totally different cultures where you know, in, in Mexico, it's just kind of Latin America where each culture is a bit different, but they're still kind of in the same theme uh, and, and the state. So, uh, you know, both places really have their pros and cons. I, I spend a lot of time in both. Uh, I found them to be, the, for me, the two best cities in the world, Mexico City and, and uh, Bangkok, and with all of those things that I just said that come with it. Yeah. How do you navigate the visa situations? Do you have residency anywhere? Uh, yeah, I have uh, a version of residency in both of those places. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, visas in general, I'll say, are are a bit tricky. And, you know, you need to put the time in. And that's where you can get caught in some of these bu- bureaucracy things. And, um, you know, each country is a little bit different. And it depends on how much time you're going to be staying there and, and this kind of stuff. Uh, Thailand's a bit harder than Mexico, where Mexico, a lot of people with stronger passports, you know, technically can be there for 180 days at a time, although they have tightened that a little bit lately. But, uh, you know, Mexico's in Latin America in general is a little bit easier usually than than Asia for a long stay. But, uh, you know, these things can be solved. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, I mean, ideally, if you want to be basing in these places, it's good to get some sort of a proper visa so that you can feel, you know, at home and not always on the move. Nice. Well, yeah, this has been an awesome conversation, Jesse. You got me thinking about a lot of cool stuff. If you could talk to one audience member and give them some words of wisdom before we part about, you know, how to get this lifestyle started or just give them the courage to maybe take that first step into something new, what would you say to them? I'd say the formula is pretty easy. You need to, I recommend that people start some sort of a side hustle while they're still in their old life. So, you know, whatever that is, there's a million things. That's not what this show's about. But, you know, just even learn how to make one or two thousand dollars a month and then just move somewhere cheaper. There's a lot of places that have a good quality of life that you can live a pretty decent life on one to two thousand dollars a month, which is crazy when you're living in a very expensive place. It doesn't seem possible. So uh, but I, I always recommend get that cash flow first. So then you're not living on a runway. And, you know, if you can't figure out how to make some money, uh, on the internet, then you don't, you don't go home. So even if you had a runway at $20,000 and you move to, uh, Medellin and then you spent all that, then you end up just going home and you start over and you say, Oh, I failed. And I guess that life isn't for me. If you just figure out how to make a thousand dollars a month on the internet and yeah, maybe you have some savings too, but then if you, you know, get caught up in the, uh, in the, Awe, oh, sorry, surprise and wonder of the new place and you end up maybe partying or meeting a lot of people or not being as focused on work as you thought you were and, and you know, you're not like growing, quote, the business, it, it's okay because you already have a business that's making some money and maybe you have some runway and that's going good. Uh, so uh, that's what I suggest and I've seen it work very successfully for many, many people. That's great advice, Jesse. Thank you for your time. 
Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. Awesome, Jesse. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure chatting with you folks. If you have time to read that article, I highly recommend it. If you want to learn the cycles of expat life around the world, I'd say this nine cycle phenomenon is very relatable to all the places that I've been, all the people that I've encountered. I can definitely pick the phases that I've stayed stuck in over time and find myself in right now. I seem to always resonate with the first three, just staying delighted, staying in that comfort zone, staying in an an area of like surprise and wonder. And I like Jesse's philosophy of trying to stay in that phase six of acceptance. It uh, really makes life a lot easier and then allows you to kind of enjoy those first three phases more, more consistently in all the places you find yourself in. But it was pretty fun to read. Had a lot of fun memories come up that I hadn't thought about in a long time of either situations I've been in or people that I've encountered on the road. And remember, if you want to check out Magic Mind, you can get a huge discount. You can get 50% off that first month subscription or 20% off that first month's buy just by dropping in my promo code MISFITS20. I'll put that in the show notes. Really appreciate you guys. Sending you lots of love and positive energy from Mexico. I look forward to seeing you in next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.